Welcome to the Contribution Revolution podcast, a revolution in kindness, love, and compassion. We're here to talk about all things nonprofit and celebrate nonprofit heroes. I'm your host, IRS licensed nonprofit expert, Mark Del Gershio, and featuring the founder of Nonprofit Advisor Group, my beautiful wife, Tricia. Be sure to visit contributionrevolution.org and tell us about your nonprofit's goals and aspirations. Your organization could qualify for a grant or other awards. And while you're there, sign the Contribution Revolution Pledge to make this world a kinder and more compassionate place. Okay, let's get started. Welcome, everyone, to the Contribution Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Mark Del Gershio, with my beautiful co-host and wife, Tricia. And today we have a very special guest, Griffin Pinkow of the Foreseeable Future Foundation. And I love the name of that organization. So Griffin, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you. Of course, I'm excited to be a part of it. Excellent. So we'll get right to it. I think that, um, you know, you are vision impaired, correct? Yes. All right. And I'd like to have you share a little bit of your story. My understanding is that you uh, realized that you were losing your vision at about 12 years old, may have started sooner than that, but that's when you kind of were uh, experiencing the symptoms. Yes. So it's kind of, um, it's, I guess, kind of funny or strange how we found out about my visual impairment and the visual challenge. Uh, I have retinitis pigmentosa, which is a retinal degenerative disease. My specific disease, retinitis pigmentosa, slowly takes your peripheral vision and shrinks and shrinks until you have no vision at all. And we actually found out through sports. I've always been an athlete and I was actually playing baseball. And one day in the outfield, I couldn't see the ball in the sky. I was running one way and the ball was going another way. And we realized there was something wrong with Griffin. What was what was the issue? And that's kind of how we delved into it and kind of started started the journey. So I was diagnosed at 11 or 12, but uh, even when I was younger, I'm night blindness as well. And people that have retinitis pigmentosa are usually night blind as well. And when I was younger, we'd go trick-or-treating. It wasn't even really that dark yet. And I'd say, I can't see anything. So um, it probably slowly started to creep in when I was younger, but it didn't really come to the forefront of being a challenge until uh, around 11 or 12 with sports and then being diagnosed a few months after that that initial uh hiccup of, I can't see the ball in the sky. I can't play baseball. What's going on? Right. And, and Griffin, how, how's your eyesight today? So I understand like what you have, um, at least from what I've read, it's like you said, narrowing of the periphery. So it kind of, you almost get like a very narrow tunnel, like tunnel vision. Um, is that correct? Way, there's, there's pinpoints in my vision where it's more blurry. I, it took a long time for me to be comfortable and figure out how to actually describe my vision to someone. A lot of people would say, you know, what can and can't you see? And I would say, I, I don't know. I have no idea uh, because it was so gradual. It wasn't just rapid. But uh, right now, my vision is very blurry and distorted. So if you've ever used an old Etch-A-Sketch, that toy, and you shake it up and it looks very blurry and distorted and, and you can make out some lines and, and or some contrast, that's kind of what my vision is right now. But if it's too dark, I can't really see that much. If it's too light, I can't really see that much. Cloudy days are the best days for my eyes, but uh, that's the best way I would describe my vision. And there are little pinpoints in my field of vision that I have a little bit more or a little bit less or, or none at all. But uh, for a general person, that's kind of how I describe it is using that Etch-A-Sketch example. And it seems people get a really good picture of, of what my vision is just from that example. 
Yeah, that, that's good. Thank you. So when you um, were experiencing this and you were diagnosed at, let's say, around 12 years old, you're coming up on junior high and then uh, high school. Did you say, stay in the same school or were you, did you have to modify that or how, what did that look like? So uh, my, my schooling was fine. We moved around a couple of times. So I, I went to a few different schools um, in high school, but there wasn't really any any change there. It wasn't, it was just making sure that I got what I needed to, the tools that I needed to, to be successful. I got those my junior year of, of high school. I didn't really get any adaptive equipment, which um, when I was in high school, it was a big bulky, bulky screen that you'd have to carry around in a suitcase and it would have a camera above it. And you could change the contrast. You could make the print bigger, smaller, pretty easy things to do. But um, besides that, I mean, I still had a, a pretty you know, normal high school experience besides having to be that age, dealing with the visual impairment, trying to explain it to people, trying to get them to understand because I didn't use a can, I didn't have a dog. Uh, and then just in the classroom, making sure I, I got what I need and, and the tools to be successful, which I, funny enough, I didn't get until my junior year of college, uh, high school, sorry. And my grades went from F's and, and D's to, you know, A's and B's because I actually had tools that could help me do the work. I could see what I was doing. I wasn't just trying to obtain information from listening. So um, it was definitely adjustment in, in how I learned and my experience in general, um, you know, wasn't the best or that easy, but I, I made it work and was able to go from high school to college with the help of a great advisor in high school who put me on that path and just making sure I had the right tools to get there. So uh, that was kind of my experience in high school besides being left out of more of the PE and activities, uh, just because they didn't know how to integrate me with the other students. You know, how is Griffin going to play volleyball, do tennis, these sorts of things. So um, I still wrestled and played football in high school, but there were definitely some, some things that were limited in, in that respect with those years. Hmm, interesting. And I know you're, um, you're very much in athletics and we'll talk a little bit about that too. Sure. So the Foreseeable Future Foundation, tell, tell us a little bit, uh, share with us what, what that is all about. Sure, Mark. Uh, it's kind of, it, it turned into something that a community that I'm a part of, but uh, after college, we did some events and some things on my local campus and Susquehanna University where I attended college. And we did some events, awareness events, dining in the dark, activities where they had to be blindfolded and play mini pong and, and um, darts and do all these other activities to get them in that experience of how would we do this if we were Griffin or someone else like Griffin to give them that perspective. And then after we finished with a walk and we raised money for an organization. And that kind of put me on the path of seeing that there was a need to do something. I know I didn't want a normal job after college. I wanted to help. And after about a year or two after college, I, I started Foreseeable Future Foundation and we really focused in on a mission, it, which is we help the visually impaired and blind through sports and recreation. We also help with education and awareness because just from my own perspective and experiences, how important that is. And even just talking to more parents that have a son or daughter who kind of have just gone into a shell and don't know what to do or how to do, do it and navigate the, the you know diagnosis. And a lot of those factors kind of told me I, I need to start something and do it. And we started Foreseeable Future Foundation and uh, haven't really looked back and we just keep growing and doing more and, and helping more people of the uh, community that, that I'm a part of. So 
it's it's been a lot of fun. That's super cool. Your organization has been around almost five years now, and I understand that you have a gala coming up in June. Is this your first gala? No, we we had our first one in 2018. We started the organization off with a bang and raised over $250,000. And then it was the fun part of, well, how are we going to give away the money? And what are we going to do to help people? And that that summer we gave away almost all of the money to directly help people pursue their athletic goals and whatever they may want to do just getting healthy and running a, a local race or competing at the paralympics so that's what we did in the, the first year and then in 2019 we had it in new york city in tribeca and raised even more money and were able in 2019 to help over 800 visually impaired and blind kids veterans young adults and really make an impact. So we've come through COVID and we're, we're excited to have the event again. And uh, hopefully we're on pace to help over 200, uh, oh, sorry, over 2000 visually impaired people this year. So it's just been really exciting that we get to directly, it's, it's a direct, I guess, return of helping people and whether there's a cure that's going to be coming on for myself or other individuals, that's great, but we get to help them with the in-between between where they are still figuring out how to navigate their life, whether it's sports, whether it's recreation, or just helping them with some of the educational tools, or they're, they're, they're waiting for that next step of, of being in a clinical trial or whatever the case may be. We help them kind of with the here and now and whether there's a cure or not. So that's one big part of our mission and what I've really been focusing on with this organization and we've we've made an impact that's awesome uh, so you're the founder tell us a little bit about your team do you have people working with you on this project yes so at first even just our board um a lot of people didn't i don't want to say didn't want me to do it but just thought that it, it wasn't the best move that i should you know maybe work in nonprofits or do something else at first and uh, when you tell me not to do something, that's not a, a good idea because I'm going to do it. And if it doesn't work out, at least I, I tried, but I, I'm going to try to make it work. And kind of that's what I did with foreseeable. And then went back to some friends and family and said, I made it happen. I need your help. So we were all kind of learning on the fly. And the first couple of years, we're all volunteers. And now we have between a few collaborators and people we work with. Um, we have also some great volunteers and just um, a few other companies that help out where they can with certain things for the organization. So um, as we've grown, we've grown our team because we're doing more. So I have um, a couple people with me just helping day to day and then volunteers and some other people we collaborate with on, on certain projects. Hey, Griffin, I think you know people listening to this but would be curious as to um, like your mix of fundraising. So is your, your primary source of fundraising the once a year event, the gala, or um, is that, you know, what percentage of it is, is that? Sure. So, so that's a pretty, I'd say 95% is the gala, right? In COVID, uh, we actually had an opportunity to do a virtual comedy fundraiser and that went really well. So I think this year, besides the gala, we're going to do another event, hopefully in person in the fall somewhere. I'm not exactly sure where yet, but we will have something and looking at other ways of, of you know, fundraising and, and whether there are other grants or um, just maybe trying to get some other private donors. But for the most part, our 
funding for the year comes from the gala and then of course you know the giving tuesdays and those other little campaigns we get nice bumps here and there but um to answer your question mark it's, it's mostly the gala right now hopefully we can spread that out so we can continue to grow and not just lean on that every year yeah definitely and i think that's um you know, that's not the direction that most people go because it's, there's a lot more moving parts to pulling something like that off. Obviously it's uh, it's a lot of work and there's an element of risk. Clearly, you know, COVID kind of proved that out, yeah. but there's we, a we reward, do. right? If you can pull it off, you, you did really well. That's a phenomenal number. And we, and Mark, we do a really different setting. So it, it's just more of a, let's celebrate, let's be here to, you know, have fun, but also celebrate this good cause. We, don't have speakers over two minutes. We still have a program. It's all standing. We don't have a signed table. So you don't have to sit with the 10 people from your company at a table. Um, we have more of a, a cool light, you know, mingle or cocktail that's extended with more than just uh, appetizers. And we still have a program, but our model for it has been, I think, different and refreshing and people really like it. And that's part of how I think we've been able to grow it just from a, a gala because we at first thought, well, we need to do something traditional. And then we brought in a few people from the board and just in general thinking, how can we make this different and really want people to come back besides, you know, for a great organization and show the work we're doing, what else can we, we do to make it different? So um, we'll see where that goes in the future, but it's, it's been working right now. And our goal with this year is to raise over 600,000, which I, I think we can easily do. And and hopefully eclipse that number with, with this event. Now, is that supported primarily by uh, corporate sponsors? Yes, it's just um, most mostly corporate sponsors, and then we have tickets as well. But um, because our, I guess, the people we help are more in the, the younger um, 40 and under sort of range, there are some people here and there, but that's our, our target, target audience with benefactors and people we support and help. So at the event, we have a lot of younger professionals and people um, either from the VI community, visually impaired community, or just in general. So, um, you know, of, of course we're raising money and it's for a good cause, but we try to, we, we try to keep it where um, people want to come to it and, you know, kind of embody what, what we're doing and who we're helping and, and kind of take it from there on a corporate side as well. But yes, most of it's corporate donors. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge impact that you had with, um, with the number of uh, visually impaired athletes and amateurs and people that, you know, just want to be able to participate in sports and different things and scaling that up to 2000, that, that sounds absolutely amazing. Doesn't it? Trisha? Wonderful. Yeah. That's awesome. So in your experience, I've read that you've ran four marathons, including Boston and, yes. uh, and New York, which is really super cool and Philadelphia. And I don't remember the fourth one, but Chicago, <laughs> Chicago. Yeah. Well, those <laughs> are good. I Premier probably have a screw loose for running those, but yeah. no, that's awesome. And um, you're a tandem cyclist, and you did uh, Pikes Peak, which is uh, quite a challenge. Been up there a couple times <laughs> in a car. So okay, yeah. you don't want to do the hike up there, Mark? With all I do other, actually, yeah, mode? I do. Um, that's that's something Trish and I have talked about. So. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> the truth. I used to cycle a lot more than I do now, but, uh, but I, I think I can, I can hike it. So I think so we can do that. Hey, is there an athlete like that you've helped that, that really stands out somebody that the organization uh, maybe gave a, you know, hope and a, a chance to be able to participate. Is there one or two people that, that stand out? Yeah. I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy, Mark. There's, there's so many that we've supported, but um, 
one, I guess, was personal. So I, the, my favorite part of what I do is actually um, before COVID, going to these camps, meeting the kids, meeting the directors. Some of them want me to help lead if they have a, a tandem section of the camp, which is more fun and interactive for me. I'm not just, you know, someone that a funder that's there just, you know, looking at the program and meeting the people. So really get to participate. And uh, one thing that stuck with me is at one of the camps, there was an um, older camper, I think he was 13 or 14. And he was a little bit overweight, but was still doing everything, wanted to do, uh, I think they had a relay, a duathlon at the end of the week for the kids. And I, you know, kind of took to Henry and, and, and he said, you know, I want Griffin to guide me through the running portion. And I was like, I can't do that. I need someone to guide me to guide you. And um, I think that that's really stuck with me because we did that. It was fun. He accomplished his goal of completing it. And then after that, he's continued into duathlons and triathlons and has really just embraced the sport that way. I, I, I don't think he'll you know, want to pursue it at a, a Paralympic level, but it's just something that I don't think he would have done if he, we didn't help him pay to go to that camp. And then when I was there, just funny enough, actually help him accomplish his goal at camp and then not just see that it, that was it, that he actually continued with it and he's, you know, continuing to be healthy and, and, and active. I mean, that's, that's one out of the, the hundreds that have really stuck with me that I can say, you know, I, it's, I've been put on the right path for what I'm doing and it's, it really is helping people. Yeah. What a, what a great story. I mean, it's, it's so awesome. And I, I'm sure that, um, you know, when you had that experience that you did, that there were probably elements of sadness or despair, right? Like, uh, you know, maybe even why me that, that type of thing. Did you, did you experience that? Oh, Mark. So I did an interview uh, years ago, sorry. And the woman asked me, she's that similar question. And I don't think I even let her finish the question. And I said, no. And the reason I said no is because I didn't have time for it. And I, I didn't really, um, I, when I was told I was losing my vision, I might've not been able to really comprehend what that meant and how that was going to change every aspect of my life. But I never really let it stop me, honestly. I mean, it was tough. There were hard times in middle school and high school and, you know, even day to day once in a while, but I just thought I can only control with what I can control. I can't control that I'm losing my vision, but I can control my, my health. I can control my, um, you know, willingness at one point to actually be open about it and then see that I could educate people about it. <clears throat> so it, it sounds silly, but I really never had time for that to have a little pity party for myself because that's just not, it's just not me. And I mean that, you know, everyone's probably like, come on, really? Like you net this, that, and the other, and just, no, it's just, just who I am. So, um, uh, no, because I just never had time for it. And I think that's very healthy for, for me personally, and has been able to, to help me do what I do now. Yeah, that's a great message. I mean, it's the book, uh, when man search for meaning, you know, it's not what happens, but the meaning you attach to it and, and, uh, and being able to have that positive attitude, you know, it, it does, it does sound sometimes overworked, but it really is the origin of overcoming, right? You first have to have the attitude that um, whatever it is that's going on, that you can, you can overcome it. And, and then turn that around to help other people is even more extraordinary and, yeah, and, and I, making it your life's purpose, which is so cool. Like that's amazing. Yes. And it's cool, Mark, because a lot of these people I either be, have become friends with or 
friend of a friend, or, you know, we got, to, we supported a camp for veterans to go to Colorado Springs and try out tandem cycling. And I mean, of course I paid for myself, but I was at the camp as well. And I got to spend a week with those people and now they're friends for life. So um, I guess those experiences are really cool for me as well to just, just have those where it kind of all comes for full circle, honestly, um, with what I do, what I'm doing for the community and how we're kind of helping similar people or people that might've not been in that position or, or needed, you know, needed someone um, where it's, you know, I just lost my vision. What do I do? Who do I, you know, what, how do I do it? Um, well, you know, we're here, foreseeable's here. If you want to be active, if you want to do something with recreation, we're here. If not, no problem, but, you know, let us know. So um, I think that's been a big, big thing I've found out just, with this organization, which has been really cool personally. Yeah. And you, you guys have uh, you've taken people skiing, right? They've gone snow skiing. Um, we've done multiple different things. We've had people go go um, golfing, blind golf. We've helped people with, in Wichita, Kansas with blind golf and get active there. We've helped four or five different organizations in Colorado do adaptive skiing and get some, some kiddos on snowboards and skis and get them down the mountain um, so, so many different things, so many programs, um, you know, week-long camps all over the country where they get to experience about 50 or 60 different adaptive sports in a week and get to try what they like and what they, they maybe don't like, but they're trying them. So, um, yeah, we, we, we do a lot with different adaptive sports to get people active. Mm. You're very busy. I see that you have so many different mediums, like you use social media, you use uh, YouTube, you have a blog, you have a newsletter, you have so many different ways for, you know, providing that information to people. Is there one of the sources that you use that you feel you get the most traction from? I think our, it, it might make sense. I think the, the blog, honestly, just because, and that's my favorite part, even if it even if it doesn't really get as much traction as I think, or drive as much traffic there, uh, I think the blog is the, the best part because I mean, that's that we get to share all the stories and all the people we help and you, you know, readers or users um, on our site get to, or just people in general kind of get to see the work we do. And I, I can talk about it all day, but when they see, or even um, I'd say our YouTube channel, you know, they, which, is kind of obvious, but they see a video of someone who've helped or an organization or they read the story of, you know, a blind veteran in Kansas that, you know, lost, lost her vision, lost this, that, and the other, and, um, you know, got into rowing or got active and, and now is moving again. So um, I think between those two mediums, we've, is where we drive the, the most traffic with people actually seeing what we do. You're very inspiring to me. Is there a, uh, what is the best time of day that you get your best work done? Oh, um, I'd say morning. And the reason I say that is because you can't see him, but I have a black lab, Lester, who's my seeing eye dog. I got him. Uh, he's four now. I got him about three, three and a half years ago. So if I wasn't a morning person before I am now, because he gets me up early. And I'd say that's when I get, I get most of my work done is usually best time for me is in the morning, um, which is kind of strange because I usually do my workouts later in the day or at night. And I think they say your best time to do your workout is in the morning, but it's just wherever you can fit it in. 
What do you have a, what, what's like a personal goal for you in the future? Like something that you want to do that you haven't, haven't done yet. Um, I think just, I, I, Mark, I'm, I'm really just always want to travel and do things. I always, I just, well, even when I'm not doing something, I feel like I need to do something. Um, so one thing that I thought I'd never do, I'm doing, um, uh, this thing called the Fjall Raven Classic with my brother and Lester, where this company actually has different excursions that you can do and they're hiking trips or different sort of trips. So Jake, Lester and I are going to do a, I think a four day hiking trip in, in Colorado. So um, that's something I never thought I would do. It's been on, you know, on the bucket list. And in August, it looks like we're going to be doing that together, which is a really cool thing to do with my brother and also bring Lester with me and just kind of, do something different. Um, I mean, of course, the obvious for me personally is to make a world championship team in the you know paracycling world. But personally, I'd say doing that with my brother is going to be really cool and excited that that actually happened. I didn't think I'd ever do something that crazy. I always wanted to um, uh, hike Mount Kilimanjaro or do Everest or just do, do something crazy, I guess, from running and cycling. I'm, I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie, junkie I'd say. Um, so those are, those are fun things, just active things that I'll be doing. Um, I mean, even when I was in New York city, I, I do trapeze classes and just quickly, I'll share this with both of you. It was a funny story. I was climbing up the ladder to do the, the, you know, position or act or whatever they call it. And I got to the top, did, did the, the move and then came down into the net and asked my friend, Liam, who was with me, Liam, I can see. I'm climbing up a ladder. I don't know how high up I am. Um, and I asked Liam, I said about 10 or 20 feet. And he laughed at me and said, Griffin, you're 30 feet in the air. And it's like, oh, okay. So I guess the visual challenge takes the fear out of things. <laughs> that was an interesting experience. And then I did it again, did it again. So um, I guess that's the one benefit, I guess. It's as silly as that might sound. I mean, you know, it, it, I guess it takes the fear out of some things, but you still have to have the, I guess the personality or whatever it is within you to, to, to actually do it. So no, those are just some personal goals, I guess, that are actually happening, which is really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. And I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, people with vision, uh, ever since I was a kid, I probably, when I first saw somebody that was walking with a cane or a, a service animal and thought, wow, you know, that, how could you, how could you survive if you couldn't see, right? Like it was like, the most fundamental thing, if I had to lose something, would be hearing or something other than than sight. And yet, it's 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 fairly commonplace. There's probably millions of people that uh, are vision impaired, and and that you know the modifications that they make and and live normal lives, right? It's 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 really awesome. And helping people be able to participate in uh, recreational activities, physical activities, is so important because it's it's probably easy to just sit in a chair all day and, and, and not do something right. And, and get out and whether you need a guide or uh, somebody to help you along with that, but, but doing it is, is super important. I know when, when I stopped running outdoors, you know, and that was kind of a big transition for me, I was just, it was beating my body up way too much. You know, it was a couple of years ago and I had to realize, I, you know, I got to, I got to scale back on that now. Right. But, but I missed it so much. I still do. And um, you know, now, now you have a, a pedal assist bike. So it's <laughs> something we can do together. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's always just finding that workaround that, that 
you know, that something that can help you um, do it, at least in, in my regard, but just, I guess, can be applied to anyone really. And um, the, it's, just, it's interesting too, with the foundation there, I had two instances where um, one person was really apprehensive and just didn't know what to say or how to say it, or, you know, just they wanted to say something and they didn't know how. And after they saw me in a pottery class where I met this, this person uh, and saw that I approached him and we were chatting months later, he said, Griffin, I feel terrible. And I said, what's wrong? Are you okay? And he told me, you know, I just, I didn't know how to say or what to say, or if I could say it to you, I just, I didn't know. And that's, that's silly of me, but that's how I felt. And uh, I had another instance when I was working out in the gym in New York city and uh, this, this massive Australian was helping me with the treadmill because it couldn't work. It wasn't working. I was cursing at it. And I had to do five miles for a marathon, a training run on that treadmill, which was brutal. And that was it. He helped me. And then months later, he approached me when I was leaving the gym and said, Griffin, I see that you have a visual challenge, but you're in here working harder than anyone. I'm over here on my phone. I'm looking at pictures. I need someone to train with me to, to keep me moving. Um, do you want to train? And I told him, sure, what are you doing tomorrow at 6 or 7 a.m.? And he probably regretted asking me, but we did it and we built a great friendship. So uh, that just sh showed me that, you know, what I'm doing um, is definitely helping, but there's always different perspectives of um, the people that don't know what to ask or how to ask it or, or un unsure. And then the other instance where, you know, Griffin's just working out in here. He, he has a, you know, a piece of equipment that helps him navigate, but I mean, doing it like anyone else. So I guess that kind of ties back to your, your point too, Mark, of you might, you might not be able to do things or, you know, um, that you, you wanted to, but you can still do other things with, with different modifications. So just those two instances always stuck out to me. Yeah. Hey, Griffin, uh, would you be able to share where people could find you online? That might help our listeners to locate you. Sure, of course. So you can go to foreseeablefuture.org. We're on all the, all the platforms, Facebook, Instagram, all of those. Um, and it should just be Foreseeable Future or Foreseeable Future Foundation as well on our YouTube channel, which is just Foreseeable Future Foundation. And you can see all the videos and great work we do there. On our site, we have our blog, which is, as I mentioned before, I think one of our features. And um, people can find out more information on the organization that way, simply uh, because I've been doing more speaking gigs as well and, and just trying to share my story and what I've been doing with Foreseeable um, they can actually also go to griffinpinkow.com if they want to get more information on me or what I'm up to, like the, the crazy hike with my brother or other, other things that I'll, I'll have coming up on my schedule just personally too, if anyone's interested. I think that's totally awesome. And I, I actually think it's super cool too that I read that you're a keynote speaker a lot of times. Yes, yeah, so that's what I do. Um, I know a lot of people do it. Everyone has a story and, and it's meaningful. Um, and I had a lot of people push me to actually put up a site and start working on that. Um, I still have people ask me when am I going to write my first book? And it's, it's ridiculous kind of, uh, it's kind of ridiculous because I'm not focused on any of that. I'm just focused on, you know, the cycling, the, the organization, but um, I guess from the instances that I've shared with people, like I mentioned with Henry, it, it's enough where I should do it because it really, even if I don't think it'll help someone, it, it does. So um, I'm excited that I'm doing more of those and sharing the story and 
the and foreseeable story that way as, as well. So that's that's exciting. I'm really excited to follow about the uh, the upcoming hike in Colorado. Aren't you, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. I want to see all about that. <laughs> We're, we're going to have a GoPro. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be strapped to, to me or to Lester, but we're going to document the whole thing. And um, hope, hopefully we can we can bring some, some visually impaired people out next year as, as well and, and give them that experience. So there's um, it, I won't be cycling up Pikes Peak anytime soon. That was an interesting experience going from 6,000 feet to 14,000 feet on a tandem and then actually getting to shoot down the mountain on a tandem. Um, but the hike will be, the hike will be epic. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, Griffin, thank you so much for joining us today. I think your story is phenomenal and really more importantly, what you're doing for other people and how you're doing it is just, it's a really an inspiration. And so, you know, thank you for your time today. I'm glad we got to meet. Um, I don't believe we've ever spoken. I know you've talked to Trisha a lot. So uh, yeah, Tr Trisha was, uh, one of the key key people of help, helping me get the certification, getting the 50C13 status and, and making this all happen so I could do what I do. So um, it, it's been a while, but I'm, it was awesome to reconnect with her and get to meet you, Mark, because um, I remember on some of the training videos or some of the other videos that were up, I think it was both of you together. So just awesome to reconnect and also meet you finally. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank, thank you. And if there's anything we can do to support you, um, We'll promote your gala uh, that's coming up and also just your organization in general and tell the story and put that out to our channels. But if there's anything else we can do, um, you know, to support you, just don't obviously be shy to ask. Okay. Cause right. and continue keeping us in the journey. And I can't wait to hear about the hike and uh, we'll do a follow-up on, uh, on another one of these podcast broadcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Super excited. We're so proud of you. And again, thank you for being on today's episode. Yeah. Of course. Thank you guys. And I know we'll, we'll be in touch. So thanks again and have a good rest of your, your weekend. All right. You, you too. too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. I hope what you heard will inspire you to join a movement of kind and compassionate people who care about others. Be sure to support our guests and visit contributionrevolution.org for free tips, training, and inspiring stories of our nonprofit love revolutionaries. Remember, it's up to all of us to make the world a kinder, loving, and compassionate place. Signing off until next time. See you soon.